Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Project MedTech. I am the founder of Project MedTech, Dwayne Mancini. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. And you can always visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, or follow us on LinkedIn. This is another episode of Project MedTech series, MedTech Money. This is a special series by Project MedTech where we have partnered with Mr. MedTech himself, Giovanni Loricella, in a series of podcast episodes focusing on money in the MedTech space. Giovanni's guest today is Gottnam Kainth from the Capital Partnership. In this episode, Giovanni and Gottnam discuss doing the right thing and the good karma it will bring, his role at the Capital Partnership, the typical check size of each of their funds, where he sees the MedTech space going in the future, their strategy when investing in companies, their connection to Shifamed, where their current investments have been, why they invest so heavily in the U.S., and more. So without further ado, Giovanni's discussion with Gottnam Kainth. Thank you very much for being with us here today. This is the MedTech Money podcast series powered by Project MedTech and sponsored by Lifeblood Capital. I want to say thank you very much for being here with us all the way from the UK. And the reason why we're here is we're going to share some information with the entrepreneurial world, especially in MedTech. And so I've talked to thousands of MedTech entrepreneurs and investors around the world, and I've discovered that there's no silver bullet or magic or specific formula on how to raise or invest capital in med tech. So my goal of this podcast is I wanted to grab your insights, your stories, and I wanted to be able to share those with entrepreneurs, investors, investment bankers, and then also make sure we get that insights from investors like yourself so that we can ultimately help those who can benefit from the information. And so the audience here is certainly a mixture of experts and novices, people in who have been there and done that before are those who want to get in the game. And I wanted to extract your stories, your insights, and certainly your advice so that we can share with what I imagine that first time founder or CEO or those aspiring to be a med tech investor. And they have no clue on what lies ahead of them in terms of the journey of raising or even investing capital in med tech. So I thought the best place to start is learning from experienced professionals like yourself. And the reason why you and I are specifically here today is we want to learn about the capital partnership, what that means, who you are, and also certainly understanding what's it like to be a med tech investor, health tech investor in the UK, focusing on a global perspective and really where has that led you to make your investments. And certainly even on a grander scale, you specifically speaking to this entrepreneurial audience on from an investor's perspective, what would you advise them to do during their capital raises? And that's all the mechanics involved, including what's happening on in the industry right now. Before we get into that, I have three open-ended questions that I wanted to start this conversation with to engage our listeners. The first one is, do you believe that people and money are the lifeblood of a med tech startup? Why or why not? And would you add anything? Or if I'm missing anything, please do add it. Sure. Uh, thank you, Giovanni. Uh, as in, just to start with, it's always a pleasure talking with you, and, and thank you for having me uh, uh, participate today. 
with respect to the specific uh, question about people or money, um, undoubtedly, as in um, people is the most important component of any business, uh, especially in a startup world. Um, if you look at two different companies uh, starting uh, at day zero, trying to execute the same strategy and have same vision, and, and they end up having different results, say after three years, after a few years of, of whatever. Uh, so it is generally the management team or people who decide the strategy, do the execution of the plan, steer the company at uh, specific transition points. Uh, getting money or funding at the right time is also important. However, as a general rule, I would say money follows when people or the management team do the right things. So, so, so if, to summarize, I would say, yes, 90% uh, weightage to the people part of our business and then 10% weightage to the money part of, uh, being available at the right time. Uh, would actually make uh, make up for a successful medtech company. I just want to pause there. I usually jump right into my other questions, but you said this magic phrase, and it's been resonating with me a lot lately. Um, do the right thing, right? And and it could be from an experience level and just delivering that value of doing the right thing mechanically, or even in general, being good humans, good people um, who collaborate well together and actually do the right thing in order to build a company successfully. So I wanted to pause there because that phrase, do the right thing, at least with me, resonates very heavily. Um, my, my next question is, you built a successful career. You are at the Capital Partnership and you've been around the world. You've built your career to where you are today. If you knew what you know now about being a med tech investor, would you do it all over again? Why or why not? Or what would you do differently? Oh, sure. That's, I, I would say that's an interesting one. So as in uh, through, through our professional careers, uh, uh, as in uh, uh, all of us, so we do and learn different things. Um, I've been an investor most of my professional life. Um, in the initial stages of my career, I had the opportunity to work across um, and invest into different sectors. I, I had a chance to look at different economic cycles, work across different geographies, uh, be it in Asia, US, or, or Europe, and also gain experience of different cultures. And over the last 17 years of my professional journey, I have uh, seen how uh, su uh, successful companies have been built. Uh, and I have also seen many of the companies fail. Um, I do not have a medical degree, but I have a, a business and finance background. And, and through my experience of working with great investors and team members, I've always been envisioning and endeavoring on, on what it makes to create a successful business and, and, and make it long lasting. Um, and, and, and to that effect, and to, to summarize uh, the answer to your question, I'm, I'm very happy the way uh, the things have worked uh, out for me. Um, and, and, uh, and certain things which did not uh, turn out favorably as well. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I, 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 I'm fortunate. I, I've become much more wiser than what I was when I was out of college. So I do not want to change anything. I, I'm happy the way things have turned out. Very good. And TCP, the capital partnership, fairly straightforward, but want your story behind it. What does the name of your company mean? How did you arrive to TCP? The capital partnership. Okay, so uh, yeah, so maybe I'll just, just briefly so, sort of first talk about uh, my journey, my professional journey, and then um, uh, we'll talk in more detail about uh, TCP, the capital partnership, uh, my employer. 
Um, I'm from India. I've done my education and university uh, education from University of Delhi, uh, both my bachelor's in commerce and business and my MBA in finance. Um, after my, my first job out of college was I joined an Indian investment bank. I was part of the equity research team uh, covering banking sector. Um, and, and my first one, as in within a few days of joining, I had my first one-on-one -on -one meeting with the CEO and managing director of a large company uh, who, who was pitching in for an IPO. And, and um, my job was to prepare a recommendation note. So since from the day one, since the beginning, I've been fortunate to be uh, sort of uh, interacting, meeting and spending time with senior management team members. That has helped me sort of gain strategic view of the businesses. Um, after that, I moved uh, uh, to JP Morgan, uh, again in equity research uh, in the banking team uh, in Mumbai. And within a few months of joining, I was sent to New York for a, a sort of a rigorous training program at JP Morgan, which is a sort of, a, of a, an induction program wherein all the new recruits join. And I was taught how to do research, conduct analysis on companies. I understood the requirements for businesses to uh, be managed uh, efficiently. And, and manage their resources and capital really well. And after working uh, within the equity research uh, space for a few years, I realized that I was focusing only on one sector, uh, which was financial services. I started exploring to broaden my understanding. And then after, from JP Morgan, I moved to EY Transaction Advisory Services um, in India. And there I happened to work on uh, several transactions uh, spanning different sectors, uh, be technology, automobile, manufacturing, uh, real estate, and, and so many. And, and then in the year 2007, there was, um, uh, it was a different time. It was a boom, boom period, so to say. There was a rush to join private equity by site firms. So I, I also happened to join an Indian private equity firm called Evolvance India. Um, and and uh, there again, I, I sort of my, uh, true investments uh, journey uh, started from them. And, and, and then in 2009, uh, my employer was actually acquired by an Indian group called Relicare, which uh, had a lot of uh, liquidity at that point of time. I was supposed to be part of the Asian private equity team for Relicare. And then the, the strategy of the group changed and then they had, uh, they allocated $300 million of capital for, for, for my team, for our group. Uh, to build an asset management business uh, by way of an acquisition uh, platform. Uh, so from 2009 to 2016, um, uh, we met uh, several asset management firms, uh, global uh, asset management firms uh, um, or acquisition targets globally. Um, finally ended up acquiring two large firms uh, in the US called Landmark Partners and Northgate Capital. Uh, and by 2016, we grew the business to uh, an assets under management of $22 billion. Um, and, and at that point of time in 2016, uh, Religare Group decided to divest a global asset management business. And I was involved in sa the sale process of uh, the underlying uh, businesses that we had acquired. That's when I might met my employer, the Capital Partnership, and they offered me to join the investments team and, and uh, relocate to London. Um, and at TCP, I'm involved uh, with our healthcare uh, technology investments from day one. Um, th th that was uh, sort of an area which we, we started building and focusing upon um, a couple of years in advance of that. And, and I'm fortunate to be uh, sort of involved uh, uh, in, in, in that space uh, from the get-go. Um, I'll now talk about TCP as an organization. Um, uh, DCP or the Capital Partnership is an investments management firm 
with a focus on venture capital, private equity, real estate, and public markets uh, investing. We sort of follow an endowment approach to investing, wherein our partners invest significant amount of capital alongside our investors' capital. And um, over the years, technology investments have been one of the key focus areas. Uh, just to give you certain instances, uh, we, we've been one of the early stage investors into Palantir Technologies uh, way back 17 years ago. So I'm, I'm talking 2004. Um, um, to name some of our few uh, other tech investments, uh, be Uber, Postmates, Stripe, uh, Google DeepMind, Flexport. So technology has been one of the sort of uh, core pillars of our investment uh, platform. And over the years, uh, our venture capital investing has sort of uh, 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 grown quite significantly. Uh, we've also start, uh, started seeing the convergence of technology and healthcare, uh, so to say, and, and uh, the group started making healthcare technology investment uh, six years ago. Uh, in the initial few years, we invested our own principal capital, and in the year 2018, we launched our first healthcare fund, uh, 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 which was primarily focused on healthcare technology and medical devices uh, companies. Uh, from that fund, we made five investments uh, so far. We, uh, of the five investments, we got an exit uh, in, in the third year, which was last year, 2020. Our investment in Nuvira Medical, uh, which is a company was bought over by Johnson & Johnson in, uh, last year. And, and through that, we, we've already sort of returned capital back to our investors of the fund. And of course, there are four more very promising uh, companies in the portfolio. So. Uh, touch wood, the, the, the fund strategy has sort of worked really well. Um, and in early this year, in 2021, we launched our fund too. Um, and we've also uh, already sort of starting uh, deploying uh, capital from this fund. We So far, we've made four investments in the last five months. And by the end of 2021, we, we sort of make uh, two more transactions. Um, so our exposure is, is uh, on the healthcare technology side, including our proprietary principal capital, our fund one and fund two is, is over say between uh, uh, 14, 15 companies. Okay, um, but I have some questions out of that. In terms of the fund one and fund two that you have and, and starting these healthcare funds in 2018, um, What's the typical check size and what style of company are you investing in? Is it therapeutic or uh, technology focused? Is it stage focused? For example, are you only investing in R&D projects? Do you invest in companies that need to scale up with a big clinical trial? Are you investing in companies that are about to come on regulatory clearance or approval or then going to commercialization? Tell us about your typical style of focus of startup and then check size and possibly reserves. Just talk about that, those numbers. Okay, sure. Um, so uh, see, in terms of uh, uh, strategy, uh, let, me, let me sort of uh, uh, explain you from a high level. What, what is the investment thesis that sort of we, we are sort of trying to kind of uh, go after? There are two larger trends that we, we've sort of focused, um, and, and these are sort of long-term trends. Uh, first, of course, is, um, is, is the integration of technology and healthcare. So like any other industry, uh, technology is accelerating the pace of development of healthcare sector as well. Um, as in, in there, there, historically, uh, there have been like just uh, so, uh, drawing an uh, analogy to some of the other sectors. Uh, 
uh, say Avis, uh, which was a car company or a, say taxi company, it has been completely shaken and taken over by Uber in, in the sense that the market share, um, there was a, a Hilton or a Marriott and now we have Airbnb, which has again shaken up the hotel industry. Uh, automobile, same thing happened. GM, Ford, Toyota have been shaken up by Teslas of the world. Uh, Walmart, again, by Amazon. So innovations uh, generally are, uh, are not driven by the, so to say, uh, uh, top players. Probably they become self-contented and tend to ignore the disruption which, is caused, which can be caused by technology. Uh, so similar to this uh, trend, which happened in many other uh, um, sort of sectors, uh, which we, all of us have seen, uh, we believe there will be a big disruption, which is up for uh, sort of uh, coming and which is, by the way, happening as we speak for last many years. And the extent of disruption, we believe, will be much bigger uh, in, in the healthcare space than uh, probably it, ha it has been in the traditional spaces. So that's the, the first uh, hypothesis, which is technology sort of uh, uh, driving the pace of uh, development of healthcare sector for uh, for next many 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 years and, and changing uh, the, the the game altogether that's one uh, second thing which is more uh, sort of um, pertinent to healthcare um, or or pharma uh, businesses if you look at and this is again a long term trend if you look at um, uh, large uh, uh, healthcare companies 20 years ago versus today um, just as an example you look at metronic yeah uh, a large medical devices company it used to, the in-house R&D, which Medtronic uh, used to have 20 years ago, that was say thereabouts of 7% of their revenues, which was spent on in-house R&D. This is 20 years ago. And, and come to now, they, they, uh, 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 so that number has uh, come down by 30%. So effectively, the, the, these companies, uh, and, and Medtronic is just an example, these companies have cut down on their uh, in-house R&D spend, uh, even after growing so well. So why, what is it that is contributing to their growth uh, is an interesting thing to uh, look. So what at the parallel, uh, if you look at the data, which is the m &A activity, which has happened in the pharmaceutical or general healthcare medical devices space, that has shot up by six times in the last 20 years. That speaks for itself. So as in the, the conclusion of this uh, um, uh, data is that m &A is actually the new in-house R&D route for all these cash-rich uh, strategic healthcare companies who, who, are, who are listed companies who have a lot of cash on their balance sheet and they're hungry for growth. They need to demonstrate uh, growth to the uh, to capital markets, to their shareholders. And, and that's what um, they, 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 uh, an m has become uh, their main sort of uh, growth driver. So what as an overall strategy, what we are trying to do is basically because of these two larger trends, um, our investment strategy focuses on uh, companies, healthcare companies, which have a technology angle attached to it. So in simple terms, healthcare technology is one of the themes. And secondly, we are trying to build companies which can be sort of acquired or sold um, uh, to these large boys, big boys or the big industry leaders. And, and we let uh, sort of, uh, um, as in uh, let them do the commercialization, let them do the sales and distribution, um, uh, themselves because, of course, they, they, they are very good at it. They have uh, huge balance sheets. Uh, commercialization requires uh, significant capital and it requires sales and distribution of uh, machinery, which uh, these guys have. So typically what we do is we invest into healthcare technology or medical devices companies, uh, which have a bend of technology, 
uh, we we work with uh, R&D veterans who have uh, R&D experts who or, or teams who have R&D experience in terms of conducting animal studies, conducting uh, first in human trials, and sort of preparing these companies for uh, say FDA approval or CE mark. And closer to that regulatory approval process, we typically sell these companies to uh, to to large uh, strategic uh, uh, healthcare companies. And and th and that's how we try to create money for our investors. Uh, and, and that's broadly the um, investment strategy. Uh, in terms of your specific questions about the size of check, uh, we typically sort of, um, um, given we have multiple pools of capital, we invest anywhere between from a million dollar to a $15 million uh, from our funds or from our partners capital, or, or sometimes we do SPVs as well for larger transaction. So that's the broader uh, sort of range uh, through which we work uh, for investing. And the one to 15 million, that's a first investment or is that held to reserves in case you need to follow on later? I would say uh, in, in certain cases, we've written uh, checks of say 12, $14 million as well. And then of course, we funded uh, more capital uh, into companies uh, as in our companies, which, which require follow on round. So, so, so to answer this, uh, yeah. So our exposure in a company could be like $30 million um, or even more. Uh, as, as the companies grow and, and yeah. Uh, uh, Do you have a specific focus on therapy? I mean, I know you mentioned Nuvera. Um, there was an announcement not too long ago about you guys investing into Tioga Medical, which is a Shifa Med company. We can get into that later. But other of the, I believe, four investments that you made um, in the past five months, you mentioned, and just overall your funds, is there a specific focus in terms of style of technology or therapy? Like, do you only go after cardiovascular? Do you only go after something with a software component? Do you only go after neurovascular? I'm just making it up, but is there like a, a therapy or technology focus or is it med tech, health tech? And as long as it makes sense, we'll invest. I would say yes. Uh, within these larger uh, sub-segments, sub which uh, as in medical devices and healthcare technology, uh, we've, we sort of, uh, some of the companies we funded, uh, say, Series A, Series B round, uh, Series C round, and then prepare these companies for, for an eventual exit. Uh, in some of these cases, we take the, uh, the, the we, we sort of do the lead investments. Um, we uh, we uh, lead the rounds. We uh, take both seats on these companies and, and work with the companies on strategy, execution, and, and sort of stay put, um, as in provide them more capital if they need. Uh, like in, in the case of uh, COVID last year, uh, a couple of our companies uh, required more capital um, at a very short notice. And we, of course, we backed them uh, whenever needed. So just stay with the companies, work and, and prepare them to be sort of um, acquisition targets and acquisition ready uh, by uh, the large uh, strategic companies and uh, closer to regulatory approval process. That's, I think this this sort of an approach is more true for medical devices innovations or incubations that we're doing. Um, and secondly, uh, for healthcare technology, uh, some of the investments that we're doing, um, uh, as in uh, just to name, uh, we've, we've been investors into Collective Health, uh, which is uh, a company which is changing um, uh, the way health insurance is undertaken in the US. Uh, it, has, uh, it has created a platform uh, and, and literally it sort of takes away the deed of an insurance company in the health insurance business. So it's, it's, it's suited for uh, mid-market corporates who want to do self-insurance for their employees. 
and they are better off not working with an insurance company but working with a service provider like collective health and and they can save money and uh, service uh, better service their clients so these sort of companies uh, which are uh, which we now for collective health we've been investors for last 5 years and hopefully in the next few years it will come up with an ipo it it had a strategic investment from one of the uh, insurance companies earlier this year um, us one and um, and and the company will get listed so so that's uh, that's and and that uh, is an interesting sort of a space to be in so so there are sort of uh, uh, opportunities that we look at with an open mind and and try to capitalize and 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 uh, bank upon some of these things uh, that we strongly believe in so i love that you mention that because in my opener of this podcast i always say there's no silver bullet or there's no magic in terms of how to invest or raise capital and throughout all of these conversations sometimes i run across investors and they have very specific requirements they have sweet spots they really don't deviate they're series a investors or they're only uh, commercialization expansion investors that require regulatory uh, clearance or approval and then maybe even revenue generation um and then there's other times where it's this gray fuzzy area so as i hear you um investing in numerous styles of technologies you've done series a you've done series b you've done series c um i'm not hearing so so many bare minimum requirements so for all those entrepreneurs listening to you and i right now if i'm a founder or a ceo of a medtech or health tech startup and i'm like okay i would love to reach out to the capital partnership and get in contact with gautam beyond just simply sending you my executive summary and saying hey i'm a medtech or a health tech company and i'm looking for capital what are some of these boundaries or guidelines that the capital partnership does require or does look for or is it simply so open minded that it just depends on assessing the technology and building the relationship and if the relationship makes sense then you invest tell us about that because i'm not hearing too many requirements okay uh so okay i'm happy to elaborate more um so in terms of our um sort of investment side see we aim to sort of um uh deliver our capital back to our investors because as you know we 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 are in the fund management business so we yeah. raise capital for a, a finite period of time and then then to um typically funds are 7 to 10 years of age uh, we 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 also have uh, our funds which are typically fall within this range uh but um our endeavor uh is to sort of uh, invest into companies which could be exit candidates in the next 3 to 5 years okay? okay and and why we do uh, why we do that uh, of course uh, the, the the thing is uh, we while while doing that we do not want to invest into something like a therapeutics or a bio or a biotech because first of all those are complex uh, businesses to invest secondly those could be like long gestation uh, uh, products or companies as well as in the holding periods would be much much longer we, we we what we are trying to sort of do is with the integration of healthcare technology and uh within medical devices we follow a fast follower approach uh, through our partnership with shifamed group uh wherein we sort of prepare companies um uh, which could be like a good alternative uh, to an existing product or existing medical device in the uh, which is available in the market but we are trying to come up with a 2.0 version of the same medical device 
with, with the improvisation of technology and sort of come up with that in the next three to five years. That's our horizon. We're not trying to come up with a novel idea or a novel product, uh, which probably could take longer. And there may be a, a need to establish the market for that. There may be a need to establish reimbursement uh, uh, plan for that. Most of our products or companies um, are uh, sort of um, uh, sort of trying to go and take it to the next level of, uh, of innovation rather than creating a novel concept on its own. Okay, so that's what we tend to focus, and that's what we tend to like, and 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 this is driven by the uh, by the phenomena that I mentioned to you. We look at sort of um, uh, holding periods of between three to five years, and and sort of prepare our companies, work with the companies to uh, to to broadly um, follow this uh, uh, sort of uh, path of development uh, as part of their strategy. Very good. Okay, that's clear. Um, before I get forget, actually, what, what's the size of your fund? I, you have fund one, fund two. What are the size of those funds? Yeah, so so total assets under management that we have is uh, is closer to one hundred and fifty million dollars, includes uh, including various uh, uh, pockets, other pockets that we have as in our principles uh, capital for healthcare. Very good, and you mentioned one of the themes of the styles of companies that you're looking for are quote unquote acquisition targets. Um, and I'm asking this question, I hope the listeners benefit from it, but I'm honestly asking it more for me <laughs> because I've been at conferences, I've heard entrepreneurs, I've heard um, council consultants, uh, investors, they talk about this concept of um, building a business to build a business. Like you can't be focused on an acquisition. You have to, be, you have to focus on building a business. And if you get taken out, great. But if you, this whole notion, and I'm going back years where this whole idea of building a business to get acquired, building a business to get acquired, where there's, there's really no interest or even thought process of commercialization. I'm just simply building a business with the intention of getting acquired. And then over the, maybe the past few years, I've just heard it more and more about pushing down that theory saying, listen, you can't build a business knowing there's a destination of an acquisition. Of course, it would be nice and that would be a great goal. But if that's your theory, then you may fail. I mean, you have to be very focused and build a business to build a business. Your theory is acquisition targets. So quantify that or qualify that for us. Like when you say acquisition target, what makes a company an acquisition target? Even if they don't maybe get acquired or maybe they go IPO, but when you're looking and assessing at a company, you're like, okay, that makes sense. There's a really high likelihood that that company may get acquired. What is an acquisition target for you? Okay, um, okay, uh, that's an interesting question. Let me sort of uh, take a step back and, and sort of try to share a high level uh, picture with you. If you sort of, if you look at say 50 years ago, yeah, uh, just at a high level, the pace of innovation, which used to happen say 50 years ago, it took like 20 years, 15 years or 20 years to change for the change to happen and materialize. Look 20 years ago, say in, in, in the 2000s, uh, the, the, so that cycle, the same uh, impact of change sort of reduced from 15, 20 years to 10 years, okay? 10 years ago, it sort of reduced to five years. And now we are in a world in which all of us are experiencing with the with so much of innovation technology um, impacting our lives our businesses having disruption all over the same amount of change is now 
happening in, in probably in one or two years. And every two years, you see a new technology, you see a new uh, product, you see a new strategy, uh, a new competitor, which all of a sudden nobody knows, but it becomes like a market leader within a couple of years. So because of this innovation and the world that we're living in, and, and on the top of it, we, we all are hit by a pandemic, which is again a, a different sort of a, a game altogether for businesses to be able to survive and sort of gain through this. So our larger bet uh, or thinking is it's sort of very difficult to, to sort of prepare or uh, build something for the next 10 years because you literally don't know what will happen in the next 10 years, okay? And of course, the companies have business plans. Uh, they have five years, 10 years business plan, but say third year, second year, the, the entire uh, uh, business may change in the sense that the landscape may change. So of course you need to adapt and, and sort of make decision uh, uh, to manage your business and, and change accordingly. So what we think is we, as investors, we are better suited uh, to take a call on what will happen in the next three years or five years. We know given the pace of change, which, which will happen, hopefully these things will become popular. Hopefully the current things which are there, how can they be improv improvised or sort of uh, made a 2.0 version of, of a product which is already available or a service which is already there? How can we take it to the next level? And that's what we are trying to do. So to, to be able to do that, um, acquisition is just one of your sort of filters of success or a proof of success that you've been able to do that. Of course, that's the end objective. But while having that journey, so we take this journey for next five years. Not we do, do not take this journey for next ten years. Which, of course, we, we there have been companies as I mentioned, which we ha have been invested for five years, seven years, and and we're happy. We, as in just to give you another example from another sector. So we we invested into Palantir Technologies way back in two thousand four, and we still today after the IPO after 17, 18 years, we still invested into the company. It has it is a. Uh, um, uh, it is sort of driving the change uh, in itself. So the point that is for our investment strategy, we're looking at next three to five years. And, and from that perspective, once the companies are ready, uh, acquisition is a mayor as it, uh, a sort of test of your success. That's what we are striving to do. Of course, in certain cases, the companies may face uh, challenges. Instead of three years, they may be ready in five years or it may take seven years. But that's the endeavor that we are trying to sort of uh, achieve. And, and that's how we go about capital investing. And, and of course we have an, a fiduciary duty of uh, we need to return and generate money for our investors. And then that's what we are trying to. Very good. Okay. Um, I wanna take a, a quick sidestep right here because I do wanna hit this point. I find it fascinating. I recently had this conversation with another investor about how to become a VC in med tech. And I've done numerous podcasts with investors who have medical doctorate degrees, MDs, and they bring a, a certain perspective when they become a VC. Others are um, CEOs or, or, or experienced operators who then become VCs. Um, your background in finance, right? And, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because Part of another theme of this whole podcast series is certainly for entrepreneurs learning how to raise capital, but also people who are operators in the medical device industry now who may want, who may want to get into the investment side, being a VC, 
um, or even those aspiring to be, C, be a VC in general. So I recently left off with somebody saying that you're never, the VC teams typically are lean to begin with, and very rarely do you see duplicates on the same team. So tell us how someone like yourself who has a finance background, you don't have an engineering background, you don't have um, an operator background, you don't have an MD, but you bring this great experience from the finance piece that I'm sure rounds off your team. And so I want you to answer this question through the eyes and the perspective of those looking to aspire to become a VC and, and just talk about how there's not really one particular path that leads you there, but the, the needs of a team on a VC to be able to properly assess startups is varied or differed variety. Talk, talk about that. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think, uh, uh, see, in terms of uh, definitely, I think, uh, uh, first of all, for, for any VC firm or for any investment firm, uh, diversity is important. And, and this is true for any team, so to say, as in even for companies uh, which are building or executing their strategy, diversity also counts. So in terms of uh, things that we are trying to do, uh, we, we, are, we are looking at convergence of few sectors. We're looking at a convergence or uh, evaluating few themes that we're trying to go after. As I mentioned, we're not trying to go after an, uh, a discovery of a novel product or a novel uh, a medical product or a novel pharmaceutical company, which of course we, we are not qualified enough. Uh, we, uh, we, we are financial investors, yeah? Uh, uh, so our aim is to make uh, financial uh, investments and our aim is to make uh, uh, decisions on generating cap, uh, sort of returns for our investors. So for, for that to happen, uh, of course, whenever there is a need and there is a technical uh, aspect or a requirement, we have a panel of advisors uh, who sort of who we reach out to and sort of uh, we do a very thorough diligence in terms of our uh, diligence exercise uh, while evaluating companies. In certain of the cases, uh, we, we've ended up talking to maybe two or three companies in the same sector, same space, um, uh, and, and then eventually we'll go with one, one of them. So that's, that's how we sort of go about uh, uh, doing our approach of investing. And, and I think uh, so long as um, you, you're able to complement, uh, you're able to sort of um, manage the overall um, um, objectives, um, I think, uh, of course, uh, uh, degrees definitely, a medical de degree would definitely complement. Uh, but uh, on the other side, uh, the, the other aspects of the business, uh, having a thinking about strategy of the business, and especially uh, when, when the times uh, change. So at, at those transition points, when the companies need to make decision about what to do, how to do, and implement strategies, I think those kind of different uh, teams uh, and, and diversity in thinking always helps. And, and uh, honestly, it's, it's been a pleasure in, in many of our portfolio companies we work with, as I mentioned, uh, uh, all of the, most of them are technical uh, guys and, and they try to explain how things work and, and we complement, we question them, we sort of, uh, sort of make things simple because then in that sense, I think it's, it's, it's a team effort. And, and so far um, uh, we, we've, we've been successful in making money for investors. And I think uh, many of uh, 
um, venture firms, as, as you've seen, they also sort of uh, do it in, in this approach. And yeah, it, then the, I think diversity really counts. Very good. And before I forget again, going back to, to qualifying um, the capital partnership, you're a typical 10-year horizon fund, right? That's correct. We, we are, yeah, uh, we, we, the, the life of the fund is uh, nine to 10 years, yeah. Okay. And then I want to I want to open this conversation up and let you run a bit. Um, in terms of all those entrepreneurs listening to you right now, if you had advice that you wanted to share with them, whether it's how to reach out to you, the trends in the market right now, anything that you can think of that you would want to have a broad reach out to entrepreneurs who could reach out to the capital partnership, are currently fundraising in general, are building a business, what would you tell them? What, what advice would you like to share with this med tech, health tech, entrepreneurial world? Okay, uh, I think uh, maybe uh, in, in terms of, uh, uh, I think there are two folds of the question that you've asked. In terms of the reach out, as I mentioned, so we, we like uh, investing within healthcare technology as a theme and, and medical devices. Um, um, and and we sort of uh, that's what we we try to do. So I probably will not repeat that. But but in general, when we we when we evaluate uh, businesses, when we evaluate companies, there are few things that sort of um, certain companies stand out ahead of others. And I think maybe I, I want to sort of share uh, maybe two or three thoughts on this one. Why would we choose a one one company over the other? Yeah. Um, first of all, as I as I uh, uh, mentioned, uh, so. In, in terms of uh, certain businesses uh, which have only hardware component involved, certain businesses have software business, uh, software component only involved. And at times um, these companies or these medical devices companies or healthcare uh, technology companies tend to focus on one part of it, okay? Typically, I think uh, for value creation over a period of time, what these entrepreneurs need to look and the companies as, as part of their strategies need to include is to focus on having equal or probably more weightage to both, both the verticals, uh, or which is hardware component as well as a software component. And let me give you an example. What I mean by software component. See, for a medical device company, if you're working on a device, that's the hardware part of it. And, and then the software component for that could be like, you, you start capturing and from the day one, start uh, capturing and analyzing the patient data, which uh, eventually um, you have a software for that. And you sort of integrate that with your product. So you try to make it as a service uh, in addition to the product part of the, uh, of the business. And over a period of time, as you go and capture more data, your database will become significantly valuable. And, and that will be a source of mode for your business. And, and that's honestly one thing which we like. So if you if, if, uh, if, you, if a company is able to have a, a digital health angle involved to it, they're able to use an artificial intelligence or a machine learning uh, sort of to integrate data. Uh, and, and, and over a period of time, as I, as I mentioned, it becomes a, a very valuable resource. And on the hardware side, if they can sort of get and include new innovations like sensors, robotics, and all of these, that again sort of uh, gives them a, a competitive advantage over many of their other uh, competitors. So we typically tell our companies um, to take a view for next three to five years, aim to make their business involve an element of a subscription model, so to say. And, and they can do a subscription model by having a software 
uh, a part of the business also captured really well. Uh, so that's probably one thing that we typically look at. And, and then the second thing is, uh, again, uh, which is pretty straightforward, but, but, uh, but sometimes companies tend to focus only on one sort of category. So just to give you an example, we have a company which is, which is focused on dialysis market, but parallelly they're also look, looking at UTI, uh, urinary tract uh, infection as a market as well. And, and there are applications of their product in other fields as well. So from the get-go, if instead of focusing on just one sector or one segment of the product, if from, if of course, the team energies, uh, the company's funding and everything, probably 80% will go in the main category. But if you try to also sort of focus from day one on other categories, that not only sort of hedges your main business, but it also over a period of time, it expands your product target market. And, and these are certain things which we like about uh, uh, businesses uh, or companies which have sort of two or three uh, market streams or target markets that eventually they are able to capture say using the same product. Because you, of course, you may need to do modifications to be able to apply that uh, a product or a service to another sector. But the, the earlier you start thinking about it, better you are suited and then you you sort of, uh, you can do it always well. So as in to simplify, do not put all your eggs in one basket, try to sort of hedge and, and uh, sort of um, hedge your business as you move forward. I think uh, these are the um, uh, two things. And then the third thing probably I've already talked about, but just to uh, sort of streamline, um, in, in you may, as a company, you may have a business plan for next five years, yeah? Uh, and then the second year comes in, the entire hypothesis changes because of a pandemic, because of whatever uh, in, in so much of a uh, changing world, uh, uh, pace of innovation, which is happening. I think the de decision-making at those transition points is also very, very important. And that's what we work very closely with our companies. Um, and, and we sort of encourage talk, uh, encourage them to take advice at these transition points so that at these transition points, they take better decisions because Otherwise, if you make a wrong decision at say in the year two, um, your past efforts go are wiped off. So as in, it's, it's important to have a good start, but it's also important to manage these transition points throughout the journey and take the right decision-making um, and, and implementing your strategy to be able to grow. And you can always do it by uh, talking, by taking advice, and looking at more information, more data, rather than sticking to your original hypothesis, which was made say three years ago or five years ago, things may have changed completely. These are certain things I think which we look at uh, while evaluating companies in detail. And then this generally, when we work with our portfolio companies, these are certain things which we value more than uh, 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 more than others. I wanna go back to the acquisition or acquirer conversation on a, on a grander global level. We know and have demystified that uh, there are fewer acquirers in the med tech space than there are in the biotech space. So that's, that's well known. Um, I wanna go to this idea that you're based in the UK, you do have this global perspective um, and we'll get into where you've invested thus far, but typically speaking, at least here in the West and the majority of the world with the exception of the Far East right now, and I'll just break that off in terms of a, a, an, an image, there's these ideas that there's very few med tech acquirers. You as a, an investor, 
when you take a global perspective and your global look, do you think about potential acquirers for your startups that you've invested in beyond the Medtronics, the Boston Scientifics, the Edwards Life Sciences, the J&Js? I mean, do you think about the microports over in China? Do you think about other larger conglomerates that are based in other parts of the world that potentially, if for some reason, the startup that you've invested in may be a duplicate or may not be part of a nice portfolio addition to one of the majors over here in the West? Do you have that more global perspective of expanding the acquirer number than the typical few that we think about? Yes, uh, I think from uh, from day one and until the day of exit, absolutely. As in when we are thinking about investing into a company at that point of time, we think and ask the management team who who are the big strategic firms who are business in say this particular category, as in just an example, who are the, who could be the leading uh, players in say dialysis space uh, or uh, mitral valve regurgitation space, who are these players who, who are hungry, who are some of these players who are doing sort of, uh, who've already done certain work and, and what, what is the existing competition. And as we move along, every sort of, um, um, board meeting on a quarterly basis, we discuss uh, is if there is a change, um, if there is a new entrant, if there is um, uh, someone who's sort of changed a strategy in terms of uh, they, whether they met with a lot of success or whether they met with a failure and they've sort of discontinued their particular plan. Um, and, and I'm talking about these large uh, Edwards of the world as in Boston Scientific, these companies also sort of keep on changing their uh, product development uh, paths. Uh, as we move along, and and that happens on a on a on a continuous uh, basis or engagement with the companies, and and towards the end, when we are sort of uh, running, um, uh, and and I think that's also sort of a, a big compliment to many of our companies. So we try to add our uh, capital markets uh, understanding and MA and understanding in dealing with this uh, acquisition acquisition uh, process. Uh, so, as in, of course, in, in, in many of our companies, um, there have been bids from Chinese uh, uh, companies as well, as in Chinese acquirers as well. So, it, at that time, we try to run uh, a global process, uh, uh, of course, uh, through intelligence. And, and then um, and as a normal acquisition process will be run. So definitely from day one to day, whatever, uh, as in day zero to year two, and then year five, things keep on changing and evolving. And then we are always on the look. And as you mentioned in the last um, couple of years, uh, uh, last one year in specific, there has been a lot of interest from Chinese uh, uh, pharmaceutical companies, Chinese healthcare companies who are now looking at acquiring um, early stage uh, companies in the US. Uh, so all over the world, as in everything sort of matters. And I also then want to go back to, you mentioned four investments in five months. That's pretty aggressive. It sounds like you guys are moving pretty quickly. So I'm sure a lot of work went into that to make it sound simple, four in five months, almost one a month. Um, but a lot of the time I like to ask about timing because entrepreneurs out there who are aggressively raising capital, reaching out to investors, they need the money yesterday in theory. Um, I like to ask this question to the various styles of investors out there in the world. How long is that due diligence period? So those four investments in five months, if I'm founder, CEO, and currently raising capital XYZ, that's me. 
And I finally get in contact with Gautam and I reach out with an email. Here's my executive summary. From that first point of contact to the time that I become one of those four and five months, um, what does that typical due diligence process take from the time I meet you to the time your money hits my bank account? What does that due diligence process look like? Okay. Um, to, so first of all, I think be, being specific. So in, in terms of the process, uh, we, we we follow the pretty much, uh, which is the institutional standard process. So to say, we, we have our investment committee, uh, we, we sort of, um, from from uh, the process from the say day zero when we get we, we, uh, uh, details about the company, we sort of uh, do a deep dive um, and and sort of um, uh, as in based upon at that time available information we we form a view uh, whether the sector is interesting what is the larger market opportunity whether if we are able to diligence the management team or what is their funding requirement, how clear are they in terms of the game plan that they're going to sort of demonstrate over the next few years and, 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 and wet, um, wet the competition uh, as well. So, so to say, if, if there is, uh, they, they, like, uh, there, there are certain, um, in particular years, there, there are certain sort of hot themes, so to say, whether this is something which, which is interesting at this point of time or, or not. So we do that. We go to our IC in the in the in the initial two weeks, and and then form a view, and then as in, and this is an initial view, and then post that uh, if we if, if it makes sense, then we sort of go further deeper. We uh, we work with our uh, medical advisors as well, and and then over the course of next four to six weeks, uh, we sort of then um, uh, finalize our investment memo, um, uh, and and then go back to our IC again. Uh, to conclude investment, and then uh, during that process, we sort of uh, discuss documentation. Uh, what are the terms that we have? Uh, rights and information rights are very important to us, um, including, as I mentioned, in most of the cases, we lead our investment, so we take the board seat. We we want to have certain veto rights. We want to have our say in the way uh, of uh, say in the management of the company uh, by our uh, rights and and that's how we do so from day zero to i would say typically for an investment to conclude in, an, in a normal time frame it's it's anywhere between six to eight weeks that we typically take um, and and I, I i would say that's pretty much the standard which most uh, 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 we most investors typically follow in terms of approach uh, of course in in certain cases um, there is a competitive scenario. Certain companies um, are um, where they could be like uh, they, they we are required to move really fast, and then we 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 adapt, and when we sort of we call our IC at a short notice and and do the decision making, and that's how that has also happened. When there is a risk of us um, being outbid or uh, not getting an allocation in a hot company, we 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 tend to uh, do. Um, change guards as well, if, if, if whenever that is needed. And to clarify, um, the, the four investments that we have done uh, this year, three of them we've known uh, over the last many years. So it's, it's, it, these are companies that we've known, a couple of them we, we are, are fund one companies and they needed follow on capital. So, so it's, it's a process which happened. And, and again, for next year, we already have identified and we, we are in conversation with few companies that which will hopefully become part of our portfolio next year. So it's a, it's a, it's a process. It's, it's not always happens in a few weeks time process because sometimes we start dialogue with the company when they um, 
they may be raising capital for the next round, probably next year, but would be still happy to be involved and, and companies also like to do it uh, that way, uh, which is again, just to be in touch um, and sort of uh, talk more about uh, the, the journey and, and sort of get, get to know the company from, from the very beginning. So I know we mentioned earlier on about Nuvera had been acquired. Um, we talked about the announcement of Tioga Medical getting an investment by the capital partnership TCP. Um, I'll take the time real quick to give a shout out to Amr Salahi, CEO of Shifa Med, the amazing entrepreneur that he is. I believe it's seven, almost eight, or if not eight acquisitions that he's enabled thus far. Um, also, Mike Deneen, the CEO of Tioga Medical. I just want to take a couple minutes here. What attracts you, meaning TCP, to the Shifa Med styles of technology? I mean, we talked about what you guys invest in, why you guys invest. And it's, it goes without saying, if you look at Ummers and Shifa Med's track record, no brainer, but tell us why, what, what style of attraction brings you to the Shifa Med portfolio? Uh, again, I think uh, pretty much uh, as, uh, as in the strategy, which I talked about, so uh, it sort of fits in really well, uh, the, the time horizon, uh, the, the, uh, the approach to doing business, uh, the governance level. And, and of course, we, uh, we've been investing with, uh, with Shifamed Group for last uh, seven years now, six, seven years. And uh, so, so there is that professional relationship, professional respect for, for each other uh, as in and, and the groups. And at the personal level also now, there is uh, sort of a um, uh, lot of chemistry, which is there. So I think uh, uh, they like working with us. We like working with them. We know how, uh, as in the, the process and the rigorous uh, uh, work that they, they happen to do, uh, which, is, uh, which is proven by the sort of uh, uh, the, the, the platform that they've built over the years. So we, we like doing that. And I think, uh, I hope they, they uh, and I believe they like working with us. Uh, so it, it sort of becomes more as, as you sort of, you start backing out in, uh, entrepreneurs from uh, and then back them more companies and you sort of develop that relationship. And, and I think uh, the relationship sort of speaks for itself. And out of all the, the information that I've learned about raising and investing capital over the years, it can be some to a very simple sentence that raising and investing capital is all about trust. I mean, it, it, it takes time to build relationships, obviously, but trust at the end of the day of whether it's trusting your partners on the investment side as the entrepreneur or vice versa, being the investor, trusting your entrepreneurial investment to be able to share all the information and be able to communicate effectively, et cetera, to be able to grow a successful business. So simply put, but um, I wanna leave off with this last question. The capital partnership, it's based in the UK and you do have a global perspective. We talked about your global perspective. However, thus far in the healthcare med tech spa space sector, where have your investments predominantly been? Okay, so uh, uh, as in uh, to, to, to be precise, so we, of course, we, we're based here in the UK, but most of our capital comes from um, all over the world uh, and we are uh, investor based, uh, uh, is, is very strong in the GCC region, uh, so, so to say. So we raise capital from across, uh, across the world. And in terms of our deployment as well, pretty much uh, we, we sort of follow a global strategy. We do not uh, have sort of any geographical uh, uh, targets that we work with. Uh, 
But because of our uh, sort of uh, network, because of uh, the relationship our uh, founders, um, uh, our network in the Stanford uh, GSP, uh, the Bay Area network in Boston, in the US, we've been able to source uh, top quality deals from the US. And, and, and because of that, um, if most of uh, our transactions happen to be in the US or, or have been US focused. And, and, and that's, that hasn't been uh, sort of done with a particular purpose or a strategy, but, but that has happened by design, by default, so to say, because it, it worked out that way. But again, still we, 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 we're open, open sort of uh, in, in terms of evaluating companies. We've looked at companies in Israel. We've looked at companies uh, from here in Europe. We also looked at companies in Asia. Sometimes, interestingly, we look, we look at companies um, doing the same thing, but they're in from different regions. So we, of course, that also sort of uh, uh, adds to our intelligence and, and then thinking, and we are able to sort of then be, make a better decision. Uh, so uh, as I mentioned, it, it just happened uh, uh, by, by default. Uh, there, is, there is no sort of an allocation or a geographical bias that we typically have and, and it's because of our network. So summarizing that, a fully UK-based firm investing predominantly, if not all, in the US thus far, obviously keeping and assessing with a very global perspective. Um, not looking for specifics on this, I'm looking for more theoretical and generalities that entrepreneurs can hear. And, and I'm, I'm speaking to the entrepreneurs in South Africa listening, in Israel, in Thailand, in Singapore, in Australia, in Russia, who's ever listening to this right now. Um, those generalities, you mentioned the word quality of deals. Even though you've obsessed, uh, I should say, assessed deals from around the world, is it, do you tie it to because your relationships are so, so strong with those U.S. counterparts and those regions and those entrepreneurs, or you have assessed these international deals as well? When you say the word quality, high-level generalities, what does that mean? Okay. So, as in, uh, just to take an example, uh, if 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 we are looking at a company, uh, say, which is trying to develop a medical device, um, the, the end objective in terms of regulatory process is to go to U.S. FDA or to go get a CE mark. That's what we see most of the companies sort of vying for. And if if a company is able to do that based in the U.S. with uh, with with, uh, with with the U.S team, so to say, or, or rather a team who has a background in doing and getting regulatory approvals in the US, FDA, that sort of uh, becomes a, a game changer. And, and, uh, and because of the, the nature of healthcare industry being so established um, and uh, well settled in the US, uh, and also coupled with the fact that asset management industry or venture capital investing industry is also sort of uh, US is the front runner. So I think it's a combination of all of that uh, and, and, and that's why um, it, it, it happens. And, and that's why I tend to say the quality of uh, uh, deals that we get, because if, if even in certain cases, uh, the company may be based otherwise uh, in other parts of the world, but, but they, eventually they also may want to go and get a US FDA approval because getting that, then you become much attractive for an acquisition uh, target, which uh, uh, eventually, or or a launch, if you want to commercialize, having a US FDA approval sort of gives you a big uh, advantage uh, globally. And 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 uh, and because of all of that, I I I, uh, I I happen to use this term sort of so the quality of deals which comes in, and and I think it's a combination of network, 
the, the regulatory framework and the availability of capital. Probably all these things put together, uh, the, the quality of deals that we are able to see, which are from the teams based in the US, is, is typically uh, of, of very high quality. I've loved my time with you today. I, I, we've covered so many different topics. It, it wasn't one major big theme. It was jumping all over the place of just rich insights. Once again, from an experienced venture capitalist perspective within our space, the med tech and health tech space. So Gautam Kainth, I want to say thank you very much for being a part of this MedTech Money podcast series. Thank you for all your insights and your stories and hopefully all these entrepreneurs around the world and even those investors and aspiring entrepreneurs and investors who are listening to this learn something new today. So I want to say thank you very much. This is the MedTech Money podcast series where we demystify raising and investing capital. Thank you so much. Thank you, Giovanni. Pleasure is truly mine. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at Thanks for listening and have a great day.